Welcome to It's Who You Know, the podcast, bridging the gap between Jewish leaders and those who follow them. Gain insight from Jewish professionals who make the decisions that influence your Jewish world. Welcome to It's Who You Know, the podcast. This is your host, Michelle W. Malkin. And my guest today is Michael Liepman, who is the executive director for NADA, the National Association for Temple Administrators, serving Reform and other congregations. And he's held the position since 2015. Prior to his role, he served as the executive director for Temple Isaiah in Lafayette, California. He also served in this role for Congregation Beth El and Nicole Shofar. NADA has 21 chapters across North America, holds an annual conference, as well as a fellowship program to help train synagogue professionals. The reason I'm bringing Michael on the program today is that he offers a unique perspective on the role of synagogue administrators or executive directors and how their role has changed over time. Back in Los Angeles, I was the executive director for a small community and was part of the local chapter PADA. This network was important to my success in that role. So I wanted to take some time to think about this demographic of professionals and how NADA is helping to shape the field. Welcome to the program, Michael. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. So we'll begin as we always do with your personal story and how you got into these varying roles of executive director and now for NADA. Our role as executive directors and administrators are kind of similar in many respects to how I got into this. I was in a different field prior to this, was actually in the hospitality industry. And many of our colleagues, similar to me, have come from all forms of business and social services, attorneys, you name it. But I was a member of a congregation and was friends with the rabbi at the time. We had children that same age. I had young children. And he saw that I was never at the synagogue because I was working constantly in the hotel world. And they told me about a position that was available in Marin. And the rest, as they say, is history. I was in the field as an executive director for more than 20 years and started, um, as you said, Michelle, two years ago as NADA's first executive director. Wonderful. Tell me a little bit about that role and the work of NADA and as their first executive director, how that came to be. So we had in the previous position, somebody who basically was an association manager. So it went from being a manager to a leader and executive director. So that was a pretty big transition in that it required a part-time assistant for me who helps me, who is my right and left arm and helps me basically lead the direction of the association. So what I have done is been active in almost every aspect of the association, which is part of the job that I love. I don't have any silos. I work with all prospective members, current members, retiring members. I work on task forces, the committees, everything from membership to financial budget, obviously conferences, as well as working on new initiatives. NATO just designed a new mission statement, strategic priorities. We have an ethics document that we just completed and we just, in fact, revamped our bylaws most recently. So that's the part of this work that I really love is that it's never the same thing every day, much like an executive director of a congregation. So it kind of seems like NADA took the step to professionalize in some way, which I think there are probably many synagogues out there that don't have an administrator or an executive director. And I often hear that rabbis in smaller communities kind of have to step into that role. 
And so I don't know if you have any kind of background as to why Nada decided to professionalize or kind of how you see these communities that don't necessarily put stock in having that kind of role in their community. Well, first of all, that's a great point. I speak to a lot of lay leaders and clergy who are primarily looking for somebody or perhaps thinking about making that move once they get to the point where they can afford having somebody as a full-time position in the administrative position in the congregation. You probably know that many of our URJ congregations, I think there are 900 total, there's a great number that are under 150, 200 families, so they can't afford a professional. I see myself as a resource and help to those congregations as well, and I've had many conversations with them about what it takes to get to this point. And NADA's mission is primarily to help our members serve and lead their congregations, but we also try to support and reach out to those who don't have executive directors or administrators. As you probably know, as a nonprofit, it's difficult to be everything to everyone, but we want to support this profession and we want to support synagogues and their future as well. So that's the fine line that we must make at many times. So you just had a conference out in Boston. So I'd love to hear a little bit of the feedback you're getting from your members, maybe some of the trials that they're running into or resources that they're kind of hungry for. Like what are the areas that they feel are missing or really need some extra support? Yeah, and the biggest support for our members is that it's sometimes very difficult to talk to lay leaders or other clergy or even other members of the staff of the synagogue because our work is unique and they don't go through many of the things that we go through. Absolutely. So that's what you mentioned. Pata, is it Pata? Yeah, I I believe it's Pata. (laughs) I'm going to get some phone calls, yeah. In the Bay Area, it's called Beta, Mm -hmm. and that's a wonderful resource too. The one correction there with many of the regional groups is that we don't only support reform congregations. We have members from the Orthodox, Conservative, Renewal, Reconstructionist, right. Independent, etc. And it's a wonderful resource for those who cannot afford membership to a national organization. Yeah, I think but, our group definitely spanned. I mean, we were in a non-denominational congregation that I ran, but we had a conservative congregation and several conservative congregations as well as reform. So it was a really wonderful resource, especially as my first year doing it, to kind of not only get the more formal training, like we had a lawyer come speak about employment issues and security issues and things that maybe didn't pertain to me as a 80 family community, but was so wonderful to connect with other people that I could ask questions and, you know, hear from their experience and bring that back to my community was invaluable. Exactly. And I find that we make friends too that way. And that was Actually, my initial introduction to NADA was by beta talking to some of my colleagues saying, oh, you've got to join the national movement as well. But what happens too is when you come up with an issue or a very delicate problem, perhaps, that you don't feel comfortable speaking to somebody about in your community, we kind of call it our cone of silence. Everything we talk about is confidential Mm -hmm. and we try to help each other out. Because many times you'll find that when one person has an issue, There are many others out there that have had a similar issue and can give support and mentorship and perhaps direct them to somebody else that may be of assistance. So that strong regional network is important as well as the national network because Mm -hmm. then you have so many more out there that can help you and vice versa. I think it's our role for those of us that have been doing this a long time 
to number one, try to go to these regional meetings. Number two, try to support our native colleagues and our sister colleagues, for example, NASA with the conserve movement, et cetera, when they have issues that we can be their、mm-hmm. support and be help to them as well. So, talk a little bit about your conference and what some topics or some things that kind of were being floated around while yeah, we were doing the, the networking. So, the topic was dealing with adaptive leadership. We do a journal pretty much every quarter that also is on our website, natanet.org. That kind of introduced people who are going to the conference about this whole topic of adaptive leadership. So. Everybody's welcome to look at that. We had some wonderful speakers. We usually get speakers from the outside world, and we try to get some of our own colleagues to do workshops and do presentations for us as well, because it helps to know the world we live in. But basically, adaptive leadership is what we do as executive directors. Our leadership is very different from other nonprofits and even other executive directors out there. Because we have the clergy, we have the governance, and then many times we're the instigators of change. But we're not necessarily in the top role. We kind of like to call ourselves leading from the second chair. And、right. I refer that that's a book that was written. You may be familiar with it from actually the church world. The author's name is Mike Bonham, and that term of leading from the second chair really hit a chord with us. So anyway, regarding being adaptive, being flexible, many times we're the instigators of change management. You know, again, sort of that idea of an executive director not really having a silo, but many different areas that we are concerned with in the congregation. Right. Right. So that's what we were dealing with was a lot of those big questions of how we can be helping provide the congregation's direction, how we can be flexible, how we utilize our leadership styles to make that shift. Because you know, obviously, to be an executive director, you have to be sort of team oriented and rely on the lay leaders and the governance and the clergy and、Absolutely. the other staff. To be supportive, and so are you finding that they're supportive? <laughs> I mean, does it make a difference? You know how long somebody's been there, and you know how they're perceived by other people. How much influence they can actually have in the decisions that are made by the clergy and the lay people around them? Are they listened to? Is that always kind of a struggle to get their voice in there when decisions are being made? I think it sounds like you were in that role, so you know it's change is difficult, and as an instigator of change, a lot of it is dependent upon. Us, how we deliver the message, how we listen to the mincog or the traditional aspect of the synagogue. Where can we make changes? We have to look at the personalities. I've heard this from many of my colleagues. Everything is fine. We don't need to make changes. We've always done it this way. We're the ones that kind of fight that, and how we fight it is really key because it doesn't matter how accomplished we are, how many years we've been in this field, if we're not able to get others to be on board. Change will never happen, and that is everyone involved. And for many of us too, I've seen you know change is difficult as well.、Um, so, is it a matter of being prepared when you come with a change idea? Is it a matter of presenting it in kind of slow, smaller chunks? Is it finding an advocate within your sort of community that also agrees? What are some tools that you kind of tell people to utilize in trying to be that kind of a leader? Yes to all. First of all, those are all <laughs> great points. But the first thing I found to be successful as an executive director is you need to first observe. You can't make change immediately.、Mm-hmm. You have to listen to what people have to say to see what the issues are of the congregation. 
you know, many congregations right now are having financial difficulty, or not many, but some. Let's hope not many. You know, during the recession, it was a tough time. But also to get new members, you know, the changing demographics. We need to not only listen to that, but we need to see what we can do to successfully get some change. Mm -hmm. And to know that there are always going to be some people who are on board and others who are going to be either will not want to be part of the change or go dragging down that role. Yeah. I think it's a really good point to get allies, to get people, again, first of all, is to listen to what the issues are and to give suggestions. Many times we don't always get the credit as an executive director, and that's not why we do this job. Right. It's to promote the change and promote the synagogue vitality and health. And sometimes you're going to talk to perhaps a member of the board or an officer or somebody from the clergy or a lay leader, whoever. And that's sometimes how things will change is that it will come from them where we know that we were the <laughs> It really came from you, right? <laughs> well, let's not say that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've explored a little bit on this program, the idea of kind of shifting from dues models to donation-based models and how terrifying that can be for some communities and the idea of starting small and you know, starting with the new members and the kind of the language you're using and allow the older members to stay with the same structure and make it a slow, gradual shift instead of a light switch. Here we are now, it's everything's completely different and who knows how the budget's going to sustain itself and all that wonderful stuff. We kind of talk about change in a, it's a slow process sometimes in these institutions. Exactly. I mean, there are other examples. You know, the voluntary deuce model, for example, works in some congregations and in some it won't work. But I think it's always good to try and, as you say, to do slow, small changes. And one other example was for many congregations, they were looking at saving on paper bulletins, as an example. Mm -hmm. So they went to all digital and many found that participation at programs, activities and services were severely diminished because people didn't get that paper calendar mm -hmm. in their mailbox or whatever put on the refrigerator. I guess that doesn't happen anymore. But many have gone back to saying, well, let's limit the number of paper bulletins and also do digital. And sometimes that works best, as you say, instead mm -hmm. of just saying, we're not doing it anymore at all to make gradual change. Right. Change is never easy, especially when you're in a community where everyone feels ownership over everything that happens. It definitely exactly. makes it a little more tough. Great. So you spent obviously many years in the field. I'd love to hear a little bit about how you feel like both the job and just kind of the community of synagogue-ness has changed since you've been in the field. And now that you kind of see a bigger picture, I'm assuming you're having lots more conversations with professionals out in the field over the last you know, few years that you've been in this role. So what are some observations you have on how things have changed? It's amazing when I first started and there was one tiny little Mac computer in the office and <laughs> right. everybody had a fight to share it. And, you know, in this day and age, how could we do our work without a computer? And the type of communication, again, that you spoke about has changed. But our role, I don't think it's changed that much. I mean, we basically are responsible for everything that is not religious in the synagogue. We do all the facilities, we do the accounting, we do the HR. Even though we don't do the communications, we kind of help with guiding how we communicate to our members. We help with the development process, you know, you name it. And all of that has changed quite a bit. How many times you pick up a phone and call somebody, we find sometimes that's the best form of communication, but sometimes very difficult to get a hold of a car again. So we need to look at different ways of reaching out to them, whether it's paper, phone, email, text 
apps, uh, WhatsApp, whatever the case may be, because it's our role and to keep our jobs relevant to reach out to our congregants and be able to create relationships with them. And if they don't see a relationship anymore with the synagogue, of course, you know what happens is they don't continue their membership. And that's not good for us in this world that we, no. that we live in. So the other thing too, is kind of the vision of the synagogue is changing. You know, I, I'm sure in the LA area, you're very similar to the San Francisco Bay Area, where you know the smaller Chabarot are becoming more popular. And especially with the younger millennials, they don't feel a need to join and to pay for membership. So we need to make sure that synagogues are relevant in their lives and that we meet them at the time of their lives when they need us. And even when they don't, you know, that we're there for them and we're offering them something that is valuable to them, whether they're single, married with young children, empty nesters, etc. Well, it's interesting when you talk about the Chavirot model because it kind of seemed to be a wave, right? Like it was really popular mm-hmm. and it was like everyone was doing it and then people stopped being able to get together. There wasn't enough time and now it's kind of having a resurgence of We want smaller sort of group interaction and connection in this way that people used to want and then didn't want and now they want again. So it's a sort of interesting transition. I have a theory as to why some of them didn't work that well because they didn't have an administrator to help them. I believe it. I believe it. Uh, Because, yeah, everybody needs some guidance, I think. And yeah, many times it's interesting to see the synagogues that go from a kabara to a very small, what I call mom and pop, to the larger cathedral kind of congregations. There are lots of transitions in between and you go back and forth, but it's very difficult sometimes to make those transitions because it's not cut and dry and you have a lot of people that miss the old days where you know they were there being participants and setting up chairs and tables and doing all the programming and doing everything to all of a sudden being more staff driven. As the synagogue grows, that change happens. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Right. It's just a natural part of the change. And that's why, you know, you have new congregations that start up and ones that continue and ones that don't. And it's all related to, again, I think, to that creating relationships and we run the congregation like a business, but it's not a business. It's very right. different. Well, I think also but, there's differences between the two roles in which you're in a congregation that's mostly staff run in a congregation that really relies heavily on their volunteers. You really have kind of two very different types of roles there with what you're able to do and how you're able to do it and how much work it takes to get programs done mm-hmm. and things like that and trying to galvanize your members to not just pay dues, but then to do something. I don't know if that's harder or easier than having a staff that is empowered to do everything and then you don't really have participation from the community and a community feel in the things that are happening. No, it's a great point. I think it's both kind of work is very difficult. And that's why I so admire. We had a colleague at the Boston Conference that celebrated 40 years in the same congregation, which is incredible to me because as a congregation grows, you know, the skill set may change as to what they need from an administrator slash executive director or whatever you want to call it. The role of an administrator in a smaller congregation, like where you're at, was, I think, very difficult because you have nobody to go to. You are it. You do absolutely everything. (laughs) You answer the phone. You answer a member complaint. You do the accounting, you know, you name it. But then when you get to be a larger congregation and you have staff that help you in that role, it can still be difficult in very different ways and require different skill sets. 
So do you find that more professionals are professionalizing, (laughs) for the lack of a better word? I know you have this fellowship program. I don't know how often that runs, but do you have the sense that more people are getting formal degrees or looking for training than maybe in the past in these particular Well, yeah, most definitely. Again, going back to what we talked about earlier, where a lot of our members come to this profession from different realms. Some have distinct talents in some areas. For example, we have CPAs, we have attorneys, social workers, you know, all of those components make up a great executive director, but they're looking for something else. And that's where you mentioned NADA has the FTA, the Fellow in Temple Administration. And before that, we offer a senior membership where we have educational programs for them. And not only do we teach them the fine points of being executive director that where it requires management and governance, and the history of reform Judaism, HR, communications, et cetera, et cetera. But we also try to help them with what we like to call the soft skills of being an mm. executive director. And those are sometimes the most difficult to teach somebody. Again, you know, sort of leading from the second chair, can't really have much of an ego in our work because you have others who basically are leading the congregation. We're there as support, but it's also learning the politics of mm-hmm. a congregation. Again, being the instigator of change, but how it is that we get people to change. You know, I like to say it's not always what we do, it's how we do it. And many times, again, they don't look at the executive director as being the instigator, but you know and I know that many times that we are. You know, that is also key, is knowing people. You know, that's where being in the hospitality business before this really got me to see the similarities of, you know, you don't have a guest that stays in a hotel for two days and then say goodbye. You have a member that hopefully is going to be a member for a lifetime. So you want to make sure that that relationship is a solid one from your standpoint and primarily from theirs. Their heart is in the right place, even though sometimes they don't agree with what you're telling them. It's how you tell them that makes a key difference. What's the trickiest relationship? Because I would assume that it would be between the executive director and the rabbi when you talk about kind of the roles and the ego. Is that the kind of most tricky political relationship you're managing? Or is it the board chair that's essentially your boss? Because when you're trying to have relationships with everyone in the community, there's other people that are also trying to have relationships with everyone in the community or be asking for money or not asking for money or managing projects. What's kind of the trickiest relationship to manage in that role? Again, I think it's both. And especially if you're in a larger congregation, you'll have a senior rabbi. That relationship is critical to your success. As an executive director, is, you know, are you a sacred partner or are you somebody who they treat as a secretary or just their assistant? You know, we like to consider ourselves, whatever you're called in this position, you are a partner in this synagogue. You're not just somebody who's keeping an eye on the budget and making sure the lights are on. You could be doing other things. You're there to make sure that the synagogue flourishes. And to do that, the rabbi needs to look at you as a partner so that they can Mm -hmm. do their work and know that everything else is taken care of. So yes, the rabbi relationship, the senior staff relationship is critical to our success. Because if that doesn't happen, we know we're the ones who will not be there tomorrow. You know? But also key to our role is, is our relationship with the president mm-hmm. and with the board. And we like to sometimes say that our role is constantly evolving and changing. 
you know, when you have a new president, all of a sudden you have a new boss, a new chief executive. And many times what they're looking for, their priorities are very different, perhaps, from the previous president. But really, the role between us and the rabbi is incredibly important. And we just passed our code of ethics, for example. And many times we're working with somebody who's a real partner, but there are times where we go perhaps in a different direction than where the Mm -hmm. rabbi wants to go. And we have to choose, are we going to lead by our Jewish heart? Or, you know, sometimes it's a difficult conundrum that we're in when we have a family to support, we need this job to feed ourselves and our family, and we need to look at our own heart and what's the right thing to do sometimes. And be prepared to say, yes, I'd be willing to leave if I see that there are ethical violations of any sort Right. In the That's congregation. Tough. Oh, what yeah, a tough very, place very to tough. be in. <laughs> you have to enjoy making those tough decisions sometimes. Yeah, I got willing that there's not too many people out there that have to struggle with that. I definitely believe it. And that's always the like complicated layer, right? You're running it like a business, but you have this layer of ethics and Judaism and values that you're bringing to the table, that the rabbi brings to the table, that your board chair brings to the table. So maybe your next education program is helping rabbis see their ED or administrator as their partner (laughs) and helping get that message across a little bit. (laughs) That's universal in every congregation. And by the way, Nada is executive director. A majority of our members are Jewish, but there are quite a few who are not, who are very successful in this role. And many times I look to them as our mentors of how they do it, because of course their role is going to be different, but They've learned how to make it work as well in a very different context. You've been listening to It's Who You Know, the podcast. This is your host, Michelle W. Malkin. Before returning to my conversation with Michael, I'd like to take a moment to introduce you to the guest for our next podcast episode. Deborah Fishman is the Director of Communications for the Avi Chai Foundation. She is also the founder of FED. She discusses with me her work around developing network weavers, how they influence our community, how you could learn to be one or identify that person on your staff. Here is a clip from our upcoming conversation. I really thought about my time in present tense and realized the most valuable thing about it, other than the people who are really extraordinary and everything else, was the idea of connecting people for a common cause. And researched network theory and got really into that and realized that what I was doing was called network weaving, which is a term that was coined by June Hawley, who's the visionary founder of this idea. She worked with entrepreneurs in Appalachian, Ohio, which is a very different context than the Jewish community. And yet this idea of connecting people to share common practices and challenge and work together and form solutions was very powerful to me. Be sure to listen to the rest of my conversation with Deborah in the next episode of It's Who You Know. But for now, back to Michael. I want to actually come back to what you were talking about, the president. In most congregations, you know, I'm assuming it's a two-year term. I don't think there are many jobs where your boss changes, (laughs) you know, every two years. Not only that, they don't go anywhere. It's not like, you know, that person now is in a different state, right? They're still in your community. They're probably still on your board as a past president. How have you either yourself or seen other kind of executive directors manage constant change, really, you know, every two years, a new person with new ideas and new priorities, a new way of wanting to manage you, a new way of what they need to know, what they don't need to know. What are some kind of thoughts on how to manage that turnover so frequently? It's, again, a great question. And to me, it's sort of, again, that the communication. I like to suggest 
for executive directors, administrators, whoever do this role, is that they meet regularly with the senior rabbi or rabbi and with the president. In person is the best, but if that's not possible, you meet over the phone or video to constantly go over what your priorities are, what are your challenges, and discuss them amongst the three of you. And that way, there aren't any big surprises. And then when you have, hopefully in most congregations, they have somebody who's in the role of first vice president, who will be the next president, they should be invited at some point to these meetings. And that way you don't have the surprises. And hopefully at that point, you have this sacred partnership where you can discuss issues. Perhaps you disagree at the meeting and you hopefully come up to an agreement so that you can move forward, that all three understand. We need to understand what are the issues that the president is going through. Mm-hmm, perhaps with leadership right. development, with a board member that perhaps is you know, not doing their fair share, whatever it might be, as well as the rabbi, what are they going through? And we mm-hmm. all both know that a rabbi's job is never ending. And right. where can we help them? In other words, where can we help the president? Where can we help the rabbi? And then all three of them helping each other. And hope that they're looking out for you as well. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as that happens, you know, I like to say, well, okay then maybe it's time for me to find something else. Because right. yeah, we need to feel comfortable with each other and have that trust. It's very difficult to have that when there are questions about you know, abilities or where the direction is, et cetera. Yeah, and I also feel like maybe sometimes, I mean, the good part of the situation, right, is if you don't have a good working relationship, they're only there for so long. So you, know, you can kind of grit your teeth and get through it. But I think the other pitfall to that is that you don't want to start you know, building a relationship with the next person in line and kind of create that bad will of trying to bypass the president in some way. And then you have somebody good you really love working with that you only get to work with for two years. And so there's a lot of mixed emotions every time I'm sure that that role turns over. Exactly, exactly. You may have a president that just, you have that mutual love and that president leaves and it's still hopefully active in the congregation. And as you said, will be an immediate past president for a couple of years, but then you know they move on. And then all of a sudden, the priorities of the new president may change. And you know, we all have strengths, we all have weaknesses. And perhaps, you know, all of a sudden, the new president wants somebody with different strengths than what yours right. are. So again, that's where I kind of say we you know, need to reinvent ourselves constantly, you know. And as you say, it's not an easy job by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, well, I mean, even just the job itself, not only kind of dealing with the community and the lay leaders and the rabbis, but then just the overall trends that you have to try and stay connected to and bring in new ideas and then support your staff and then bringing in new ideas and keeping things vibrant and then, you know, dealing with people that want to leave because they hate something or another. It's a very multifaceted type of a position. Oh, definitely. And that's, again, where, you know, having that annual conference is a way to reconnect and talk about issues, but also it's kind of learn what are the newest trends, looking at experts out in the field and sort of bringing it home Mm -hmm. to saying, yes, adaptive leadership is so important. What can I do in my own community to help maybe myself? Maybe I have certain weaknesses, like I don't like to make change, but somehow, you know, to push yourself to work on those weaknesses. And we don't like to say weaknesses. We like to say, you know, to work on your strengths and build on those, basically. There you but, go. You know, Identifying and building on your strengths is very important. That's great advice. Do you have other advice for synagogue professionals out there? 
Well, I think we always need to make sure that we take care of ourselves because there's nobody else that's going to want to do that. Many of our board members will take time. They're going to call us at four, five, six in the morning and mm -hmm. say, hey, Michael, we need to take care of this right away. You know, we need to be mindful of those kinds of situations to be available, but to also make people understand in a good way that, you know, we also are leading our own lives as well outside of the synagogue world. And if you want us to be partners in all of this, you know, we need to do it and we need to take care of ourselves physically, emotionally, educationally, to have a family and have an outside world as well. And then we become that much better at the jobs that we're doing too, if we're fresh and refreshed. Yeah, I think one of the most difficult things about a lot of jobs in the Jewish community when we're dealing with volunteers is their hours are in the evening and the weekends. <laughs> so in the role of executive director, when you have an event or you have a meeting, you, know, you kind of got to figure out how to advocate for yourself. Right? Well, I'm going to come in at 11 because I'm going to be here till nine. Or I take Tuesdays off because I know I'm here all day on Sundays. I think that balance too is not easy, but trying to kind of advocate for yourself and saying, this is not a nine to five job. And you have to understand that going into that, it's just not going to be that way. And then maybe there are executive directors who that is the case, if they have a lot of staff that do a lot of that kind of weekend and evening work. But it doesn't seem to me that that's the norm, unless you have a different perspective. You know, it definitely isn't. You need to be attuned to when you need to be at certain things and when you can be excused. I think many of our members don't go to every Shabbat service, but you need to be there perhaps for whatever works in your own community, but to perhaps greet at the door as people walk into the services. And perhaps, you know, we both know that the Onik Shabbat is incredibly important to welcome prospective members to, you know, visitors to your community to make sure that, you know, you don't have the clicks that even though you like to say, you know, we're so welcoming, where many times we're not. And those are the times when you can really see the other side of your community. But again, taking care of yourself, you know, I used to say, well, you're here all the time. And many times you are, but most of the time you're not. You just right. know the important programs and services to go to and be present. Yeah, it's great there. if you can have the illusion that you're there all the time. <laughs> it's a great yeah. illusion to pull off. If you know the solution to that illusion, please spread it. Right. <laughs> I'll think about it. I'd love to hear from you a little bit kind of about your personal life in the last however many years that you did this work. And I can only assume the work you do now is maybe a little more nine to five, although you kind of aren't in a community in the same way. What were some ways that you stayed balanced and did everything you're advising here as far as <laughs> taking care of yourself? What were some tools that you employed for that? Yeah, again, you should learn from ourselves, right? So I think sometimes you just need to know when is a good time to be away and when is a good time to be there. You only learn that through experience. And I'd like to say we need to keep ourselves physically and mentally ready for the next day. You know, I like to, for example, swim in the mornings and do a bike. And even when, you know, I had some back issues, keeping physically active is so key to your mental abilities as well. And family is important in sort of getting away. The, the key thing for me working from the home office is you're never really away. Right. So for some people can't do it. I've gotten to the point where, you know, this is my work. And also sometimes just like your volunteers, we have NADA volunteers who need an answer right away. And we right. also need to be available to them. That work-life balance, if somebody has, again, the answer, I'd love <laughs> to hear it. Um, but I think we have to know ourselves yeah. and know 
that if we don't take care of ourselves first, nobody else will. We sort of set an expectation sometimes that, oh, Michelle always answers my phone calls or answers my emails. You know, boy, I just emailed her an hour ago. How come she hasn't emailed me back? I think setting up the expectations are really important. I've always been impressed with those that say, I do not take emails on Shabbat, for example. On the one hand, you can say that, but then if there's an emergency and the, you know, <laughs> there's right. a fire or God forbid something happens, we need to be available even in those kind of, you know, yes, we set um, limits, but sometimes you have to kind of fudge around those limits. Yeah. Well, it's even more difficult in this particular role that you're in a spiritual community, right? That high holidays are not for you, right? You have to make sure everything is working the way it's supposed to be working you know, for so many years that you've done this work, that trying to figure out what piece of, you know, these holidays and these experiences are for yourself and that you can enjoy and take in spiritually and what part of it are you then available for others to make sure that they can also, you know, enjoy it and feel the spiritual connection, which is very difficult. Oh, yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. I mentioned the physical, the spiritual is equally as important. We have a lot of executive directors who were presidents of their congregation. And that makes it really difficult because, Mm. of course, the spiritual nature of High Holy Days, for example, is going to be very different. And they have to realize that up front, that that's going to be a change. So they need to look at their spiritual fulfillment in other ways, perhaps going to Torah study or going to the Mm. second day of Rosh Hashanah instead of the first day, or go to the second day to another synagogue. Do you you find that a lot of executive directors have a second, more home community? Or is that not that prevalent? It's a really good question. I hate to say one way or the other. I don't think there are a lot. I think to be a successful executive director, you need to find other forms of spiritual fulfillment. And for some, you know, if they go back, even on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, let's say, as an example, Somebody's going to stop you and say, hey, Michael, there's a light burning." Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, oh, <laughs> and by the way, can you take care of this check for my dues? Too? Right, <laughs> you know. right. I think it's just being comfortable with your role, too, mm-hmm. and understanding that there is a balance. And again, telling that person that says, hey, can you take care of this light? You Again, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. It's like, oh, thanks so much. Can you do me a favor and send me an email next week and remind me? Yeah. And I'll make sure to take care of it. Because, you know, especially for those who are religious, let's say, and who don't like to take money or or write on Shabbat, for those in the reform movement, I think there are ways to make workarounds that work for you. That's excellent advice. That is something that I think all professionals should learn, the deflecting of, oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. Thank you for letting me know. And, you know, I'm not going to take care of it right now. We'll, you know, do something else. Let me know next week or, oh, go put it in the office and I'll take care of it when I'm back in the office. You know, making exactly. it clear that just because I'm here doesn't mean I'm working. And sometimes they don't understand that you're perhaps triaging too. Oh, Let yeah. me take care of the microphone that's not working for the rabbi sermon first. And, then, you know, <laughs> right. uh, and let me know about that other issue with the light bulb so I can take right. care of that too. Well, we covered a lot of ground here with the kind of special role that is the administrator, executive director in synagogues and how NADA helps support their work in these chapters and nationally with your conferences and your offerings. Any other sort of last thoughts on your work or people out there that are doing this work? I think people who do this work are very special people mm-hmm. who know that they could be doing something else and perhaps make some more money. And, but they're doing it for a reason that it's in their heart. They see the role of an executive director to be equally as 
important a role as the clergy and the other senior staff of the congregation. Right. Even though many times we're dealing, I don't want to say the mundane, but sometimes it might right. be with a budget or an HR issue. Or the or light bulb. <laughs> the light bulb being burned out. Or the toilet that needs to be plugged. Unplugged. Right. It is all spiritual work. And again, it's because we're dealing with people the way we would want them to treat us. Mm-hmm. Somebody who walks in the door and wants an arrangement, who's having a difficult time financially, or some of the things that I found the most pleasure in was when I would call members in the start of the fiscal year and talk about membership. Many times they don't call you when they're not renewing their membership because they're sometimes going through a, a difficult issue. And sometimes I heard about issues in the family before even the rabbi. And I would right. then talk to the member and say, let me speak to the rabbi and I'm sure they will want to talk to you. And the rabbi, especially those in that um, sacred partnership, wanted to hear that feedback because that's, the, again, how they can help create that relationship and say, oh, I understand Michael spoke with you and you're having some difficult times. What can I do to help? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I think that's why we're doing this work. We're looking at it from our own strengths, you know, that we have hopefully strong organizational and administrative strengths. And this is the way we can give back as well. If we were rabbis, we would do that work, but many of us don't have those strengths. No, so right? this is the way we can contribute to, the, to making that synagogue community. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for sharing your experience and your unique perspective and insight into this work that's so vital to just the vitality of our community. And I know synagogue world is going through a lot of challenges and EDs. I have all the faith in the world that they will kind of help guide us through as years go on. So thank you so much for your work with Nada and for being on the program today. Well, thanks to you. Thanks for the great questions. And I think you have a lot of the answers too. So, <laughs> And thanks for creating this for all of us the podcasts and it's great work that you're doing as well. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. Reflecting on my conversation with Michael, he talked about leading from the second chair and the role of executive director and administrator as being change managers. The role requires a person to constantly be examining the entire culture of the synagogue, balancing relationships between lay leaders and professional clergy, bringing new ideas in from outside, all while making sure the lights stay on. This is not easy work to lead from behind the curtain, to lift up others and their work, regardless of how much effort the ED or administrator put into any given program or event. All that without getting frustrated at how hard change can be. Similar to other guests we've had who lead networks of professionals, it makes a difference when you're able to connect with others doing similar work who can commiserate with and share your joys and accomplishments, who truly understand what it took to get there. I've got to give a quick shout out to my executive director friends in the South Bay of Los Angeles, Katie, Tama, and Kate, for being amazing professionals in their field and whom I wouldn't have been able to do it without them. We have one more article that's been published for the podcast, which recaps our 2017 guests and gives you a little nugget of wisdom from my conclusions from those conversations. You can check out that article on eJewish Philanthropy or on our website. This program has been funded in part by the Jim Joseph Foundation. Our editor is Nick Bowden of Bowden Sound, and our fiscal sponsor is Jewish Creativity International. 
You can find previous episodes, guest bios, information on how to start your own podcast, and more on our website. It's who you know the podcast.com. This is your host, Michelle W. Malkin. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful week.